Hospitality Media presents the Mike and Mo Show. Now here are your hosts, Mike Calandrillo and Maurice Moten. Welcome one and all, episode 26, the Mike and Mo Show. I am Mike Calandrillo, he is Maurice Moten, and we are knee-deep in Olympic coverage. Rio, baby, it's going on. If you're not watching, you're missing out. We're going to talk about what's hot, what's what's green, and it's probably a pool. There's a lot of weird things going on in Rio right now, but it's a lot of fun. Matthew McConaughey was down there kicking back, saying, all right, all right, all right. There's a lot going on. So a lot of things in Major League Baseball, people retiring left and right. I've, I've cried more times this week than I can remember. Uh, NFL's getting cracking, a lot of fun there. Some uh, some potential holdouts, some, some things on TV that are just weird with hard knocks. But all in all, there's a lot going on. So, Mo, welcome. And um, you start us off. Well, as Mike said, a lot of retirements, but we won't touch on that yet. We'll, we, we'll get Mike some Kleenex before we go into that. Yes, please. But uh, I want to start out with what Ray Rice has said, and he's been in the news lately about his coming back to the NFL. He wants a second chance. I'm one of those people who, who actually feel bad for Ray Rice because he actually said that he would basically play for free, that he would play and then donate his check and he just wants to play football because apparently, of course, that's what he, he grew up wanting to do. And he was on Mike and Mike this morning, and he basically said that he feels that he's going to get another opportunity. And as much as I want him to get that second chance, I don't think it's going to happen. He's been out of the league for three years. He hasn't carried a football since, I believe, 2013. Uh, it's, it's just not going to happen for a guy who had a bad season. And also has been out the league for three years. But I will say this. A lot of people, there are a lot of myths and misconceptions and inconsistencies of truths out there. So for you people, just pull up a quick chair again and, and just listen and just listen, okay? First of all, people are saying Ray Rice couldn't get another job in the NFL because he was washed up. That is not true. He was 26 years old and he had one bad year in 2013 behind a horrible offensive line. Joe Flacco was sacked 48 times that year behind the same O-line. So it wasn't really Ray Rice. It was more of the O-line. And then you had people saying, well, he, he, he's not going to get a job now because he's washed up. And as I said before, he's been three years out of the league. So, of course, the team is not going to take a chance on a 29-year-old running back who hasn't carried a football in three years. It's just not going to happen. That's why he's not going to get a second chance opportunity. Maybe he goes to Canadian Football League and gets a chance there, but it's not happening in the NFL. Canada. The last thing I want to point out is people are saying, well, Ray Rice is a scumbag. And I'm like, hold on, wait a minute, let's pump the brakes on that. This is a guy who, yes, he did the wrong thing. You don't lay your hands on a woman, that's number one. But but we're a society where we believe in, in second chances and rehabilitation. Uh, criminals go to jail, and they get second chances. People who kill people I mean, murder, they're not thrown away for life and throw away the key and that's it. You know, there's a chance to rehabilitate rehabilitate yourself, your image, and get back into society. And unfortunately for Ray Rice, he's trying to get back into a career where the shelf life is very short. Uh, I believe the average life for a running back is maybe four or five years on average. And he, he played for, I believe, five seasons. So he, he basically lived out to his uh, average career at his position. And again... It's not going to happen, but let's pump the brakes on calling him a scumbag. Yes, he was at the moment for what he did, but he's very contrite, and he's done a lot of things for the community for uh, domestic violence issues and, and causes to to kind of, again, rehabilitate his image. So I, I feel like he's contrite. 
And a lot of people have said the same thing. Even women have said this, that I, I feel like he's controlled enough that he, he would deserve a second chance, but he's just not in a position to get that second chance. And, and to those people, I tweeted this out earlier, there are people out here who, who say Ray Rice doesn't belong in the NFL, but they cheer for Jose Reyes when he signed when he went to the Mets. So I, I know I've mentioned this over past episodes. I don't want to mention it too more. I'm not beating up on Jose Reyes. I'm just using him as an example because he's the most recent uh, high-profile example. If you're going to say Ray Rice doesn't belong in the NFL, you can't then turn on the TV and yell, go Jose Reyes, because they've, they've both been a part of domestic violence issues. And, and I'm just saying, where's the consistency? You can't, you can't let one go and say the other one's a scumbag. You can't cheer one guy as... Yeah, I'm rooting for him, and then say the other guy's a scumbag. This doesn't work that way. And and I equate it to, I guess, when it comes to cheating. When you're in a relationship and a person cheats on you and they just tell you about it, it's less hurtful than when you walk in on them cheating on you. So, again, it's the visual. I get it. But when you're talking about the domestic violence issue and you boil it down, then it's not all about domestic violence. It's about your visual and how you feel, the emotional effect it has on you, whether you see it or not. And I think we need to come to grips that it, it's, it's all horrible. Whether, you, whether it's on video, it's on camera, it's talked about, or, or it's tweeted about, or you hear about it in a newspaper, or read it on a blog. It's all bad. And it's unfortunate that a guy who is contrite, and a guy who, who may deserve a second chance, isn't going to get one in that lifestyle as an NFL player. But again, we have to be serious about um, how we're going to act as community police or moral police over our sports and where do we draw the line. But as for Ray Rice, all I'm going to say to him is basically um, you made a mistake, you paid for it. Life isn't always fair, isn't it, isn't it always equal? Some people get second chances and others don't. That's just that's just turn of life. But I will tell him this is he needs to give up on that NFL dream because it, it's just not going to happen. Again, maybe the Canadian Football League work out for him, but other than that, Maybe he can continue to speak out public issues on domestic violence and maybe serve as an NFL mentor to other players who may be in the same issue or maybe incoming rookies to avoid certain situations and just, you know, uh, teach these young kids to have a cool head at all times. And you won't end up like like me or like Ray Rice would say, like you won't end up like my did. And he could be a big help that way. And it will be bigger than football. It will be, be more of a, a life issue. And again, a mentor for the young players coming in the league. So then is it fair to say, and my only question is, is is he being blackballed because A, he either did something or said something like what was reported that he threw the Ravens under the bus? Or is it because there's flat out that there's video evidence and, and nine times out of ten there's not. It's always a he said, she said type of thing, kind of like, you know. Greg Hardy and, and and Jose Reyes and Aroldis Chapman and all those other guys. So is it both? Is it one or the other? It's a little bit of both. Uh, I believe he's being blackballed. Well, I don't think he's being blackballed now. I, I just think that time enough time has elapsed where no team is going to give him a chance at this stage. One year after the incident, I feel like he was blackballed, and maybe the Ravens did not promise him but told him that they would take care of him after he gets himself straight, and apparently they have not done that because he's still looking for work. And and that's just what happens. These organizations have to cover their own their own uh their own selves because PR is is an issue with the NFL. And the NFL wants to put forth a good ish a good uh, image. Women are involved in the sport. Their sons play football. You got to go through college where where moms make a lot of decisions whether their sons play football or not. Sometimes it's not dad. 
and and the NFL is trying to save themselves and trying to distance themselves from from problematic issues as Ray Rice would present. But again, if if the Ravens did promise him something and they reneged on that, that's a whole separate issue. Um, I, I, again, Ray Rice seems like he's moving on and he's saying, well, I'm going to get an opportunity. And again, it's, it's just not going to happen, not for the domestic violence issue. We can all agree that he seems like he's a contrite person. But again, it just doesn't fit at 29, three years inactive. Just not going to fit for any NFL team right now. Because if you look at the league, teams will pick up an undrafted free agent and use him because he's, he's a young running back with fresh legs at 22 years old. Why would they want someone who's 29? Closer to 30, on the other side of 30, we all know NFL teams start looking at you differently when you're on the downside of 30. And, it, again, it just doesn't fit for him. Uh, I wish him the best, though. Well, I believe uh, the poet P. Diddy said it best. If you don't know, now you know. All right, <laughs> that is the cold open. We will be right back with Open Mic. Open Mic. Well, I got the Kleenex ready. We won't talk about Mark Texera because we know Mike, uh, he's shedding tears over that. But uh, some people aren't shedding tears for A-Rod. In fact, when A-Rod had his announcement, some people said that he was uh, shedding some crocodile tears and they weren't real and it was just a photo op moment. Because if you look closely, A-Rod starts to tear up and then he takes off his hat. And someone made a good point, I believe it was Colin Cowher. He said, when you want to hide yourself from crying or when you're crying you want to kind of shield yourself wouldn't you pull the hat down lower so people couldn't see you crying A-Rod takes off the hat turns the hat around so the Yankee logo shows to kind of have a photo op moment which I thought was kind of interesting I'm not here to judge the man's intentions but it looked like he was looking for a photo op moment there but that's besides the point uh Joe Girardi initially came out and said if A-Rod wants to play every game at Fenway I'll find a way now, it's, it's, he's saying, my job description doesn't involve farewell tours. And to me, that's him saying, look, this is not a Kobe Bryant-type situation. You're not going to go out, at, as Kobe Bryant did, on a tour through Fenway so everyone can see you. I'm here to win baseball games. But the Yankees don't look like they're in the hunt. So, uh, Mike, what would you do if you were Joe Girardi? And do you think A-Rod's retirement tears were sincere? Well, it's funny. Before I get to that, I guess I could just breaking news. A-Rod got up as a pinch hitter in the seventh inning with two men on and flied out to right. So I guess all is right in Yankee land. Uh, not. Uh, it's, it's a really weird situation. If I was Girardi, and um, obviously I think there's some deep-seated tension there that we don't know about. It'll be interesting to see in you know, the coming months, years, if it comes out, somebody writes a tell-all book. But for some reason, Girardi's just got something against A-Rod. And, and I get it. Look, people don't like him, and I've been writing about it all week for the Yankees that – I, I don't I don't agree with that. I feel that he was one of, if not the main reason, that the team won the 2009 World Series. Um, so, to me, it's kind of asinine when I see people in the media say, well, it wasn't worth him being a Yankee since 2007 when he re-signed with the Yankees after he opted out because what is one World Series worth when you've got to spend $275 million and all this drama? And to that, I say... 
Ask the Chicago Cubs, who haven't won a World Series in 109 years, would you sign a prima donna uh, for all that money, for all that time, if you could guarantee yourself one World Series? Uh, yeah, I'd, I'd say you probably would. I mean, they went out and spent $200 million on Jason Hayward this year, and I believe he has under 10 home runs. So for the fans that are just trying to really rally and, and bang on this guy on his way out the door, I just... I don't quite understand. Girardi's the manager of the team. He obviously is going to do what he thinks is best. Somebody needs to tell him that this team is not going to win the, the uh, anything this year or not going to make the playoffs. It's not going to go any further than, you know, October 3rd when this season ends because it's just not a very good team. I mean, if he didn't get the memo that Brian Cashman and, and the front office traded away their most valuable assets to restock the farm system, then he's managing the wrong team. So a little weird. I think, Gir- I think whatever Girardi's doing, he's almost making A-Rod kind of like this sympathetic figure in a lot of ways because... I watched the interview with him last night in the dugout after the game, and and I really feel bad for the guy. Whether you think he was a a, a steroid user or or just a plain old you know a hole, whatever you want to call him, he's still a human being. He's four home runs away from 700. Only three men in the game have ever hit that many home runs. You're not even giving the guy the opportunity to to go into another spectrum of greatness. And maybe Girardi's part of that that faction that believes doesn't deserve it. Okay, fine. But then you know what, Joe? You should have come out and said, I don't like the guy. I'm not going to play him. Screw him. Instead of saying, I'm going to give Alex every opportunity to play all these games against the Red Sox and in Tampa. Now it looks like I would honestly be surprised if Alex even plays on Friday night. Now, will he play? Probably because the Yankees, uh, I believe the ticket sales went from like $49 up to $500 for the same exact seats, which are way up in the, the nosebleed section. So he'll, he'll play then, and I, I hope I hope he plays well. I hope he hits four home runs between now and then. It's not likely, but it's just a really – it's an ugly situation. Um, I don't know. Maybe Girardi got a memo from Hal Steinbrenner that said if you don't make the playoffs, your job is, is mine because he's playing like he needs to win every game, and it's not happening. I mean, this is just it's – a, it's a bad team. It's a really poor team, and, and, you know, this is not the way a guy who – you know, if he wasn't wasn't suspected of PEDs or didn't have that year suspension, would be in the Hall of Fame because he is one of the greatest talents to ever play the game, regardless again of what you think about him. And I've read so many negative things that Yankee fans just spewing hatred at this guy. Man, why bother? Why waste your time calling him every name in the book? Okay, whether you think he deserved all that money he got or not, he was a big part of that 09 championship. And if you call yourself a Yankee fan and you say that, like I read today, I would have rather not got that championship. You're an idiot. I mean, flat out, you're an idiot. Because for the past seven years, we Yankee fans haven't had a whole lot to cheer about. That was the last thing I was really, really excited about as a Yankee fan. So take that away. And and what was the last time we won a World Series then? Was it 2000? And I can't even remember. It was so far long ago before that. So give me a break. I hope he, got, I hope he plays. I hope everybody lightens the hell up. And um, you know what? He's going to put on a Yankee hat for, what, three, two more days? And that'll be the last that you guys ever have to see him him again. So you got exactly what you wanted. Um, Use him as a scapegoat. Use him as what you want. But, uh, you know, it really is a shame that he has to, you know, limp out of his, out of his, uh, what he's he's done for the past 22 years, which is play Major League Baseball. Yeah, it's pretty sad. I don't, I don't get it. Okay, if Girardi knew he wasn't going to play a-Rod, or if he knew his job was on the line, why would he make the statement and basically say, you know, I'm going to let him dictate his farewell tour? Yeah. You know your job's on the line. Don't make the statement. I know it's an emotional moment, but you got to keep your head in the game, so to speak. 
and just trying to double talk, trying to talk out of both sides of your mouth because then you look foolish because then people are going to take the news clippings and say, wait a minute, this is what you said during his retirement or after his retirement announcement. Now you're changing, you're changing gears, you know? And then people say, well, he gave Jeter a farewell tour when Jeter left because he allowed Jeter to bat second in the lineup and Jacoby Ellsbury, I believe, was behind him. And people are saying, okay, Girardi, you did it for these plays. Why not for A-Rod? And it goes back to your point. Maybe he doesn't feel A-Rod deserves this tour or this great walk-off moment where maybe he hits a couple of home runs on his way out. So if that's the case, he, he's done a good job of hiding it up until this point. But I, I just I already knew that the retirement was coming after they said A-Rod had you know, an announcement and oh, Girardi yeah. would be there. You, you, you already knew it was coming. Sure. But how about this special advisor slash instructor position he's supposed to take after Friday? What, like, what are your thoughts on, on that, and how do you think that's going to work out for him? I, I, I think it's just a way of the Yankees saving face with this whole thing. Instead of you know forcing him out this Friday, they say, well, we have to pay him anyway, which they do. You know That's the deal in baseball. You're getting He's getting almost $27 million, six this year and 21 next year. Regardless if they cut him or not, they're going to pay him. So, okay, you make him a special advisor. You make him a liaison to Hal Steinbrenner. You can make him the hot dog vendor for whatever you want. He's still going to get paid. Uh, the, the weird thing is about, that, about this is that he's going to go home on Friday, and he doesn't have to report to the team until next spring training. And the contract only goes until December 31st of 2017. But there is a clause in the contract that says that if he decides to continue playing for another team, he can do so. So it gives the Yankees the out that if they really don't want him involved in the team, which, let's be honest, at this point it doesn't seem like they do, he can sign with, say he goes back to Miami, signs with the Marlins, signs with the Rays, signs with anybody that would give him any chance of hitting four more home runs. And they that team only has to pay him a prorated amount. And the minimum this year for a major league ball player is $500,700. So the Yankees will still be on the hook for $27 million, but he'll still get another cool half a mil from another team. So why would he not take that opportunity if he really feels, and like he said in his interviews, I really feel like there's still some good baseball left in me. Why would he not take the chance if someone comes knocking on his door? Even if it is purely for publicity, like the Marlins signed Ichiro, got his 3,000 hit, it worked out for the Marlins, worked out for Ichiro. What if they went out and signed A-Rod, played sparingly at third, and hit four home runs next year? Going to make a whole lot of money. He's going to put a whole lot of butts in the seats in Miami, which we know that they need. What's the problem with that? So I feel like this whole Yankee thing with being a special advisor, while it sounds great on paper that he's going to mentor the young players, and now the Yankees have some really good middle infielders and infielders in general down in the minor league system, it sounds wonderful that he wants to be the guy to, to pass on the torch. But let's be honest, it's a whole lot of BS. Mike, you are a great co-host because you just set me up for my next segment. You <laughs> talked about putting butts in seats mm -hmm. and, and going out to Florida, basically, well, Miami. Mm -hmm. Well, how about going to Tampa Bay? Because Tim Tebow... Timmy T. Timmy T is pursuing <laughs> a career in MLB, wants to be a baseball player because he realized his, his quarterbacking career in the NFL not going to happen. What would you say if the Tampa Bay Rays took a hometown kid like Tim Tebow, who played at Florida in college, and then they brought in A-Rod with Tebow to fill the seats at that stadium. They only had 12,600 people for Sunday's game, as Clay Travis reports on the herd. And if you bring in A-Rod and you bring in Tebow, you may not win a lot of games, <laughs> but people will come to watch. So how about it, Mike? 
yeah. Tebow, A Rod with the rings. I mean, yeah, I'd go. I'd go watch. Um, you know, I'm like an hour and forty five minutes from Tampa. I, I I wouldn't go there otherwise because the stadium's a dump and I don't like the drive. But uh, yeah. It, you know what? It's weird because the guy is obviously he's an athlete. Whether you you think he's a quarterback or not, or you don't like his throwing motion, or you know whatever he, I feel like he too was ran out of the NFL to a certain extent. According to uh, Chad Moeller, who's an ex MLB catcher who he's been working with in in California and Arizona, he says that Tim Tebow has got it. He's got it all. Even Gary Sheffield, who could very well be a Hall of Famer one day, says that he saw Tim Tebow hit in the batting cage, and he's got a natural power hitting swing. Uh, obviously, he hits lefty. I I wonder what he would do throwing if he throws the baseball the better than he throws the football. But regardless. According to everything that we've heard about Tebow, he hit 454 his senior year in high school, uh, 20-something home runs. was actually drafted, I forget in which round it was, I believe it was by the LA Angels, uh, his senior year. And supposedly the story goes, I read in the paper here in Orlando, that uh, the Gators coach at the time, Urban Meyer, hid, hid, and this, is, this shouldn't be a surprise for Laura or any Ohio State fan, but hid his scouting report and information from him, from Tim Tebow and his family via the MLB scouts because he wanted him to come to the University of Florida. So, again, not a surprise, but according to everything that we've heard, this guy, again, he's 29 years old, Michael Jordan couldn't play baseball, and he was quite possibly the greatest athlete of all time. Um, It'd be interesting. Would it definitely put butts in the seats? Sure would. Uh, could, Could the Rays use it? Oh, heck yeah. It's a very difficult thing to do to to transition from you know football, scarcely playing football to playing baseball, and he hasn't played baseball since his senior year. Or actually, he didn't even play his senior year of high school. He played his junior year of high school. So that was what uh, 11, 12, 12 years ago. Hasn't played baseball. So I don't know. Hitting in a cage, hitting off a tee is a lot different than hitting a 90, 95 mile an hour fastball. He is going to have a professional workout with scouts and live pitching. I would love to be there just to watch it. Uh, you know, me and Timmy go back. So it would be, you know what? You want to invite Mike and Mo show out to your uh, out to your little exhibition? Love to come. But yeah, it would be it would be really interesting. I'd love to see it just just if it worked. I'd love to see. I'd love to. Hey, you know what? He proved all the doubters wrong. Maybe he wasn't a football player. Maybe he was a baseball player. But in reality, it's it's gonna be a, it's gonna be a stretch of the imagination to see this actually come to fruition. Yeah, he's gonna be twenty nine in August. I don't know how many players have switched athletic careers at 29 years old yeah i know you said michael jordan tried it i'm not sure how old he was when he, he tried to switch he batted 220 in his one season in i believe it was birmingham which might have been a double a AA or triple a uh part of the chicago white Sox. 220 he was horrible the best thing he did i remember was buy a bus for the team so the guys didn't have to ride on like an old school bus so that was his contribution to baseball but think about that michael jordan the greatest basketball player of all time circa you know now was awful was barely an adequate minor leaguer so tim tebow i I don't know what what do you say about this maybe it has the opposite effect tim tebow was people a lot of people say a below average quarterback and he could be a really good baseball player whereas michael jones was a really good basketball one of the greatest of all time very bad baseball player could have the opposite offsetting effect maybe Nope. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it, it very well could. Again, he's the guy. The guy is built like like Adonis. I mean, he's ripped. His arms are as big as my head. Uh, I mean, he's he's got you have great. A big head. Yeah, I have a giant head. He's he's got great stature. He's got really good speed. If according to the way he used to throw a baseball, they say it was a plus arm. Um, and he and if he's a left-handed power hitter, 
we know we can run, then, you know, that's almost like, what, three tools of the five that you need? Now it'll be interesting to see his, his batting eye, if he can catch up to a 95-mile-an-hour fastball or a 75-mile-an-hour breaking ball. That'll be interesting. But again, uh, 29 years old, I, honestly, that's that's getting to the peak position or peak years of a Major League Baseball player's time. But again, if he's an athlete, why not? I mean, we saw Chris Winkie coming to Florida State at 20, 28, I don't know, what was he, like 27, 28, win a Heisman and get drafted by Carolina. Uh, you know, so it's been done. Uh, usually guys will, you know, playing all these sports like, you know, Brian Jordan and Deion Sanders, they play both sports up until a certain age and then they decide to, you know, break off. But who knows? Maybe it's a, yeah, maybe it's a reverse effect. Hey, I would love to see it. It'd be, it'd be a great story. Disney would have the rights to the movie. And uh, I, why not? You know what? With all the negative crap going on, let's, uh, you know, Hey, do it, Timmy. What the heck? Let's have some milk and let's watch you play ball. What happened to my boy Nathaniel Cornelius Robinson? Nate Robinson. <laughs> Wasn't he supposed to be trying out for the Seattle Seahawks? I didn't hear about it. Now we're close to training camp. You don't hear anything about it. I guess if this is out, it's not going to work out for him. Speaking of athletes switching sports leagues, but... Well, uh, yeah, when I mean, you're root for anyone who's chasing their dream. Yeah, uh, I know sure. a lot of people said, well, he could be... He's disrespecting the game by by not going through the minor leagues and going through the years as most baseball players do. trying to, And I'm like, he's trying to redefine himself. He's looking for a purpose, basically, in his adult life where he could be an athlete and be a successful athlete. So I'd say go for it. Yeah, and let's get one thing straight. If he is signed to a professional contract he's not going to go from you know sitting home to going to play for the Tampa Rays or any other major league organization he's going to go to the farm system whether it's single a double a triple a rookie ball he's going to have to work his way up nobody's just going to say here Tim go to the major leagues and and have an at-bat it's just not going to happen so he will eventually if he gets lucky enough he will have to pay his dues again at 29 how many years is he willing to spend in a minor league system where you don't get paid a whole lot you ride on crappy buses and stay in even worse hotel rooms but again if he's an athlete and he obviously feels he has something left in him then if he's given the chance hey man do it young guy no obligations you know really other to himself obviously he is a you know god-fearing man he does wonderful things around the world but if if in the off season he can still do those and and do what he loves which at this point seems like he wants to play baseball more power to him triple a might not be that bad you see your boy yasio party in des moines see snapchat what are you doing professional athletes you you <laughs> need to call the mike and mo hotline and you need to tell us when you're about to snap something because you just pulled a draymond green sir yeah basically but i'm uh, gonna get it speaking of power hitters you mentioned power hitters with tebow uh the game is actually losing one power hitter prince fielder basically tearfully announced his retirement he's had two neck fusions basically that's a surgery that would join two bones in the neck. Peyton Manning. Sounds Peyton Manning. Yeah basically, yeah, basically. And he's had two of those. And the funny thing is that he's finishing with the same amount of home runs as his dad, Cecil Fielder, which is Weird. a pretty cool thing. Yeah. But, it, you know, it's sad to see him go. But unfortunately, he was declared, I believe, medically disabled. So you knew his career was over. It's just a matter of him announcing retirement or not to hold on to the cash. Mm-hmm. And he decided to move on with his life. Yeah, he actually can't say that he's retiring because if he retires he loses the money so he technically still is eligible to play if he were to choose to do so because if 
they, like I said, by by being medically unable to play, he gets all that money. And the guy signed a nine year, two hundred fourteen million dollar deal with the Tigers before the two thousand twelve season. And obviously, he was since traded uh, to the Texas Rangers for Ian Kinsler. And wow, what an amazing trade for the Tigers! How that worked out. And at the time, I really didn't think so. Uh, but there is a bit of a, uh, I guess, insurance policy on this deal. I don't know the exact terms. It's very small. I think maybe it's like ten percent, maybe even less, seven percent that the team will recoup. So even though he can't play, obviously they would love for him to retire, but who in their right mind is going to walk away from uh, that amount of money? It's just not going to happen. And it, and you said it too, he had the same uh, amount of home runs as his father, I believe what it was, 319 home runs. And um, really weird because him and his father have a really strained relationship. I don't know the details of it, but uh, I think it had something to do with uh, Prince's wife and the family not agreeing, kind of like a Kobe Bryant situation. But uh, yeah, it's just ironic how two guys that don't have a relationship yet are father and son. And, and you know, there's photos and video of Prince with his father at a young age playing uh, with, with his dad at the old Tiger Stadium in Detroit and growing up around major league ball players. It's ironic how they have the same exact amount of home runs and, and that is it. It's a shame. The guy's 32 years old i mean uh he's the biggest vegan i've ever seen in my life he swears that he doesn't eat meat but um he's just a hulk of a man i got to i got to it's funny i, I met him one night one day super quiet guy very reserved um but you know unfortunately you can't can't do anything about major injuries and this is this is a huge one i mean imagine if peyton manning went through this and he got hit as a football player i guess it must be really really serious for for a fielder to to hang him up because again i understand the torque of the bat when you're swinging but it's nothing like getting blind blindsided by a you know an approaching linebacker or two yeah i guess it's just an issue where as you said when you torque your body the way he swings the bat maybe just aggravates or agitates it so he knows better than we do yeah. and obviously he's been declared medically disabled so Serious situation. Uh, wish him the best going forward. But, Mike, tell me about Carlos Gomez. Whew. What should Met fans know about Carlos Gomez, and why should the Mets have an open mind, quote-unquote, on bringing him into the clubhouse? This is, a, this is a conundrum if I've ever seen one. As you guys remember, Carlos Gomez was almost a New York Met last year, you know, almost traded for the crybaby Wilmer Flores, and... Um, uh, you have to take a shot at Wilmer like that. <laughs> well, you know, that's the biggest thing Wilmer's ever done in his career to this point was being known for, you know, the crying face, the Jordan meme. Uh, so, but he, again, he was almost a Met last year. Um, Zach Wheeler was almost dealt to Milwaukee. And thank goodness the Mets, that deal did not go through because they turn around and, and, and acquire a Ioannis Cespedes uh, from the Detroit Tigers. Obviously, they did give up Michael Fulmer, who, if you know anything about Fulmer this year, is a stud of a pitcher um but again the Mets had plenty of pitching so they and they got Cespedes and it worked out um but the thing with Gomez is he yes he is a natural center fielder good speed good arm is a knucklehead but the, as we know the Mets need a center fielder um Lagares is out possibly the rest of the year Cespedes is you know on the men he's only going to play left field Granderson split in time with Conforto in center neither are center fielders although Granderson used to be. Jay Bruce is doing a very good job in right field. So it's a good idea to pick up Gomez because, again, if he can find lightning in a bottle, then you need a center fielder. You need a guy that can be at the top of that lineup, either one or two, to set the table for the rest of your power hitters. But this year, he was horrible. I mean, he had five homers. He had 29 RBIs. 
and a 210 batting average with a 272 on base percentage. Okay, he had 12 stolen bases, but this is horrendous. His war, which is wins above replacement, was negative 8.8, excuse me, negative 0.8, which means basically by having him on your team, you were guaranteed to lose an extra game than if you didn't have him. So that is really bad. But the one thing I will give him is that maybe he, he knew that the time is coming. Maybe he knows that he has to get his act together because he came out and said in an interview that uh, it's not a secret. I'm not doing my job and I'm really disappointed in myself so at least he didn't go and blame the Houston Astro organization for his own faults he's just really not a very good player right now and maybe going to New York where he started his career long long ago he was I believe he was in that Johan Santana deal with Minnesota about a thousand years ago maybe going back home uh playing you know with a guy like Cespedes and Bruce and everything else the Mets got going on maybe it'll rejuvenate him and and hopefully for the Mets fans in the world it'll help the Mets get back to the playoffs because they certainly could use it right about now Yes, hopefully they can catch lightning in the bottle twice. You know, maybe another bat, a rejuvenated player can come in. In the outfield, maybe. I'm wishful thinking, maybe. We'll see. Of course, again, the Mets said they will keep an open mind, so nothing's concrete yet, but we'll, we'll monitor the situation as it goes on. But, Mike, we'll come back with building momentum, and I will say this. It's August 10th, two days before training camp. Chargers, where is your first-round pick? That's up next. It's now time for Building Momentum. Hey, Mo, you remember that old game when you were, like, in elementary school, um, Carmen San Diego? Yeah, I remember that. Where in the world is Joey Bosa? Or, or, even, or even Where's Waldo, if you want to boil it down to something very simplistic that a yeah. lot of our viewers would know. I like that if one better. If you're not familiar yeah. with uh, Carmen San Diego, what about Where's Waldo? Because right now... The Chargers are, they're probably not wondering where's Bosa, but everyone else as far as the fans and NFL pundits are wondering what's going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, just a quick background update. Basically, Joey Bosa, the number three overall pick in the draft and the Chargers, are at a standoff, at a contract standoff. He is the only rookie that hasn't reported to training camp, which is not a good sign for your first-round pick. Apparently, the Chargers want offsetting language that lets them off the hook just in case they cut Bosa in the fourth year. Bosa obviously doesn't want the offside language so that he can collect money from the Chargers if he's cut and collect money from his new team when, when he signs a new deal. Also, Bosa wants his signing bonus in a lump sum right away. The Chargers want to defer it where they give him uh, bits and pieces here and there throughout time. So I understand both sides. But um, Antonio Gates came out and said, you need to be a man and report to camp. So this is a veteran talking to you, a guy who's probably going to go into the Hall of Fame as one of the best tight ends ever. And, of course, he wants to win games. But let me tell Antonio Gates, you guys are going to win five or six games whether Bosa reported to the team or not because the Chargers aren't that good defensively. They have questions in the secondary. Bosa was supposed to strengthen the front line. Shots fired. he's a rookie. What's that? Shots fired. No (laughs) shots fired. They were going to be bad. I mean, come on, Mike. They were going to be pretty. They only won four games last year. I know they have Phillip Rivers there, but mm-hmm. that defense is just too suspect for me to trust them. And uh, Bosa's mom actually came out and said they wish they had pulled an Eli Manning. Now, for uh. those of you who don't remember Eli Manning, his agent, Tom Condon, basically told the Chargers, look, my client is not going to play for your organization. Don't draft him. The Chargers drafted him anyway and then traded him to the New York Giants for Phillip Rivers. So that's how Phillip Rivers ended up in San Diego. And Manning ended up in New York, and the story goes on from there. But uh, 
Bosa is in a situation where he's facing, he's standing off with an old school organization that's not going to budge on their principles. So the Chargers are not budging, and then Bosa's got a strong agent, and he's not budging, but it doesn't do well for either side because the Chargers do not get their first-round pick, which means they're going to have a, another bad defense. And then for Bosa, it looks bad on him because he looks like an entitled, spoiled millennial rookie, and that's not a good thing either. So when he does report to camp, if he does ever report to Chargers camp, those veterans are going to have a field day with him because, you know, rookie hazings go on all over the league. Oh, yeah. And here's a guy who, who seems like an entitled brat holding out. And when he gets back in the locker room, they are going to handle him. That means funny haircuts, <laughs> having to sing in front of the veterans, getting donuts, carrying pads, all of that. He's going to get all of that stuff when he reports. So hopefully when he does report and he does get his contract situation straightened out, He's a hell of a player because if he comes out and he's a bust, people are going to talk about this holdout like no tomorrow. It's really a, it's a shame because everybody was shocked when the Chargers drafted Bosa, obviously, and Bosa was too because they had so many other needs, uh, the Chargers being that they could have taken Jalen Ramsey or, you know, could have taken a quarterback to, you know, proceed Phillip Rivers. I mean, there's so many places that they could have gone. Uh, Laramie Tunsil, that it was, a, it was a convenient pick. It was a good pick for the for the number three. But obviously, wow, talk about backfiring. Now, is it true that if he doesn't sign and he sits out the entire year, he his name goes back into the draft pool for next year, correct? I can't confirm that. Okay. I really can't, but I, I would believe that is the case because if you remember Eli Manning's situation, the reason the Eli Manning situation worked out is because Tom Condon told the Chargers basically he's going to sit out the entire year. Yeah. And basically, I guess that would mean they would miss out on their draft pick. So I guess you are correct, but I would confirm that. Mm-hmm. But it, the whole situation is, he, when you heard his his press conference, when he was first picked, and he had he was holding up the Chargers jersey, he sat next to Tom Telesco, who was the GM there, and, and Mike McCoy, was the head coach, he seemed like he was all about football. He, he was like, yeah, I love football, and I love football, and... I love football. So I'm thinking, okay, this guy's the real business. He's gonna come one, he's gonna go in day one, he's gonna dominate. And apparently he did have a good uh, rookie minicamp because he did report to that. He didn't start holding out until mandatory minicamp, which happened after OTAs. And now at this complete 180, uh, I don't I don't know what that is. Maybe it is all about the contract, it is all about the money. He wants his cash now, more money, more buckets. I get it. But I guess if if I'm a lottery winner and they told me, look, you can get the lump sum or you can get in increments over time. I want the lump sum because I want to be able to have my money and then I can spread it out however I want to spread it out because guess what? Tomorrow ain't promised. Give me my money. And in the NFL, it ain't promised either because the NFL stands for not for long. So if he gets hurt and the Chargers feel like they want to cut him, that's it. So he's basically trying to protect himself or his agent is trying to protect his client. And the Chargers are saying, no, we're an old school franchise. We do things the way we want to do it. Take it or leave it. So I don't really know how long this is going to last. I've, I've never seen this before where a player's held out this long. Maybe there are instances. I'll have to look that up. But in my recent memory, this is the longest holdout I've seen from a, a top five rookie coming out of the draft. So interesting situation in San Diego. Again, they're going to be a 5-6 win team regardless. But Joey Bosa, if you really love football, as you say you do, you need to get your butt at camp. Laura, call up your boy. Call up the Ohio State alums. Do something because your Ohio State people, they are here wild. You need to get it under control. Yeah, I mean, like, I laugh because his mother thinks that if he were to go somewhere else that all of these problems would go away. Why? It's not not just the Chargers. I mean, it should be every team. Why would they be willing to back up the Brinks trucks for your kid 
who had a lot of issues at Ohio State and hasn't played a down in the NFL. You're being a bit too demanding, especially for a position that he plays, which, you know, it's important, but is it is it that important? You know, we've seen guys come out in the third, fourth, fifth, sixth rounds and be as dominant as first round picks. So, uh, man, just it's ugly. I don't I don't know when or if it'll get better. I don't I don't know if anybody would even take a chance on trading for a guy like this because it just sets such a bad look from the onset of his career. So uh, I think we should call Eli Apple's mom and have her talk some sense into homeboy because he's tripping. It definitely tripping. I mean, he drew comparisons to J.J. Watt, and I think part of that is because of the looks. And a lot of people like to draw comparisons between players because they look similar. Yeah. I hate that. Yeah. I don't think he was anywhere close to J.J. Watt. J.J. Watt is an extraordinary talent. Let's not give any kid coming out of college that title as soon as they come in at rookie minicamp. Like, just pump your brakes on that. But I think it would have helped Joey Bosa if he had been picked maybe ninth or 10th or 8th or somewhere because as a number three overall pick and as the first non-QB draft selection, it gives him leverage to say, well, I'm basically the top pick outside of the quarterback, so I deserve this leverage. When in reality, he really does it because he's a rookie. He hasn't done anything. But you know these agents, they're going to try to push for everything for their client. That's their job to get everything their client wants, like to get everything possible from the organization in favor of their client. So... We'll see how long this standoff lasts. I think it goes through preseason, maybe week two of the preseason. Things start to break. Someone gives in. Someone goes to the table. Because apparently the organization hasn't been in contact with Bosa's agent for, I believe, over a week now. So, first of all, there needs to be some communication. I mean, I know you guys carry your phones everywhere. There's email. There's there's Instagram. There's social media. Somebody reach out to somebody. Send a DM or something. Do something. Something. Do something, please, for the love of goodness sake. But... We'll keep it in football, and uh, if you didn't hear by now that the NFL Hall of Fame game was canceled, then you've been living under a rock. Um, uh, we put some pictures on social media, and for whatever the reason, don't know how it happened, but there was multiple instances where the field was deemed unplayable. Uh, it's some kind of, like, you know, AstroTurf-looking field, and there was patches where there was no turf, and it was just... Goodyear tires, just straight up rubber. Then, for whatever reason, the Brainiacs that were in charge of the maintenance on the field decided to spray some kind of uh, some kind of special paint that they use on most fields, but it was too slippery when put on the type of field that was lacking, basically artificial turf. So it was slippery. So the NFL decided to cancel the game. Understandable to a certain extent because obviously it's just a preseason game. It's not even that. It's, it doesn't it doesn't mean anything. But the problem was is that. The NFL did not announce that this game was canceled until 8 p.m. When it hit social media and news sources around 6.30 or so. So the people in the stands are now, uh, I guess, coming to some understanding. They're going to have a a major lawsuit on their hands. 22,000 people that were in attendance not only want their money back, but they they want retribution of some sort because they felt that they were lied to and manipulated for an hour and a half. And that's understandable because from the reports I read, people spent, you know, a couple hundred bucks on souvenirs and food and hot and anything you can imagine so they feel like they were tricked by the nfl for that 90 minute span just to spend their hard-earned money when they knew all along that there was not going to be a game so i i mean i wouldn't put it past the nfl this seems like something roger goodell with his evil mastermind would would conjure up but uh it's you know it's a shame because you know brett Favre got into the hall of fame you know obviously one of the greats and uh, it's just it's just a, a poor way to end what should have been a solid weekend of, you know, NFL, you know, festivities. Yeah, everyone was pumped to see NFL football for the first time this year. And I say, meh, 
meaningless, meaningless preseason game. I mean, people gripe about, oh, I can't stand that we have all these injuries. Ah, oh, man, my fantasy team. And then when the NFL cancels the game to, you know, to prevent injuries, then people still have a fit. Oh, I want my NFL. And it's like, it's like a bunch of crack fiends. It's like, you're going to get your NFL in a couple of days. Like, it's starting tomorrow. Like, There's a crack. just come in. Yeah. Relax, people. We are E-L-A-X. People, you're going to get your football. But, Mike, quick question. Did you yeah. hear Marvin Harrison's Hall of Fame speech last week? It was great, wasn't no, it? No, I actually muted the TV when he was speaking because I didn't want to hear anything incriminating, so. Oh, my goodness. Marvin Harrison will be at your doorstep. Marvin, just know yep. you were my favorite football player. I still have your jersey, wow, by the way. Wow, that's um, a lie. <laughs> As far as players uh, going into the Hall of Fame in 2021, of the players who retired recently, Peyton Manning, Charles Woodson, Jared Allen, Calvin Johnson, Marshawn Lynch, who gets into the Hall of Fame, Mike, of, of those five players? Um, are you going to put it, a limit on, on it, or can, can they all no, get just, in? You know, just say Hall of Fame or not. It's cool. Honestly, I can see all five going. I, I know where you're going to go. I know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Peyton Manning, hands down. Charles Woodson, hands of course, down. Because that's your boy. Well, well come boy. on, noodle arm. He two-time MVP, uh, Super Bowl MVP, five MVP awards. Come on, stop it, Charles. He, he Char- better get up there with a ramen noodle oh, can or something He's, to sponsor them because that's what his arm looked like the last year. He should he just send that. He should send up the Papa John's guy to to, to take the uh, the Hall of Fame speech for him. I think that'd be classic. Uh, Charles Woodson for sure. Calvin Johnson. Yeah, because, I mean, you look at what he did in, in, a, in a short setting. I mean, he didn't play, unfortunately, long enough. You know, I, well, according to NFL, you know, standards, when you look at what the fans would have wanted, but he was still fantastic. And Jared Allen, yeah, of course. I mean, you know, he's 10th all times in sacks. Now, the guy that could be on the outside looking in, even though he was, again, really, really good, it was a short amount of time, was Marshawn Lynch. Um, you know, if he were to play, you know, if he were to play two or three more years, and continue to put up the numbers, I think he would have hands down been, you know, first ballot Hall of Famer. But when he's going against those other four names, he he could very well be left off the list. And honestly, so could Kelvin Johnson just because they didn't play long enough. Now, I think they'll both get in eventually, but I think when you're going up against Jared Allen, Charles Woodson, and Peyton Manning, they're gonna take the majority of the votes away. So I do see the I do see the big three and then eventually Calvin and maybe eventually uh Marshawn. What about you though? You are a generous Hall of Fame inductee person, man. You hey, are so generous. Hey, so if hey, it was up to hey. you, it would, be, it would be the Hall of Good, not the Hall of Fame. Hall, Hall of Okay. Yeah, I think that'd be fine. Yeah, the Hall of Okay, because, okay, this is this is what I got. You were right. Okay, Manning and Woodson, first ballot Hall of Fame is no doubt. Yeah. Okay? I do think Jared Allen eventually gets in. He may not get in on the first go-around. He is ninth on the list in sacks, but... He's, he's probably going to be passed by a couple of players. I believe Julius Peppers is around that number. He's probably going to drop a little bit as people start to retire, so it may take him a little while. But uh, Calvin Johnson, definitely, I mean, I shouldn't say that. I don't think he gets in. He was dominant when he was on the field. He only played nine seasons. Uh, he had, he had I believe, seven seasons of 1,000 1, receiving yards. I don't think that's enough. You know, people say, oh, it's because he played for the – Detroit Lions, who were scrubs, and I say, well, Barry Sanders made it in, but Barry Sanders is over a thousand yards rushing every year he was in the league, and he played for more than nine seasons. Yeah. So you got to give Barry his due. I don't think Calvin gets in because, as you said, he, yeah, he had the most receiving yards from 2007 to to 2015 seasons, but he just didn't play enough. Yeah. And and it's it's all about longevity too. But you just can't be good for a split. I know nine seasons is in the split second, but he just. 
I think a decade would be the, the hallmark to say, okay, if you're good for a decade, then we'll let you in. But he just falls short of that. Uh, Marshawn Lynch, definitely not in the Hall of Fame to me, only because if you look at his years when he started with Buffalo, I mean, he came into the league and he had two consecutive seasons over 1,000 yards, but then his following two seasons, not so much. I mean, in the third year in 2009 with Buffalo, 450 yards on the ground in 13 games. People want to talk about Ray Rice. Oh, he was washed up because he had one bad year. Okay. Marshawn Lynch had two below average, average to below average years, and I don't think he belongs in the Hall of Fame after that. He did pick it up in Seattle, and Seattle is where he, he picked up his superstardom. But for the first, I, I believe, four and a half years of his career, he was he was yeah, he was average. Yeah. Then he sure. comes in, and most of it because of his personality, and I'm only here to not get fined and that stuff. That adds to his to his persona and his legacy. But as far as a player, we're judging based on merit. Definitely not a Hall of Famer to me. I'm sorry, Marshawn Lynch. I'm I'm sorry to all the fans, the Raider fans who love Marshawn because yeah. he's an Oakland native. He should be. But he is not. He is. <sighs> not a Hall of Famer. And if he did make it to the Hall of Fame, can you imagine him getting up there and making a speech? I'm just here so I just get into the Hall of Fame. Like, can you imagine that with the shades on and everything? Uh, you know, eating a bag of Skittles? Yeah. I don't know. I don't awesome. know, Marshawn. I'm sorry. I'm... I like you, but not Hall of Fame. Uh, real quick, if you had your option, who would you want to see perform at the halftime of this coming Super Bowl? Anybody. Not, not dead, but anybody living. Who would you choose? Uh, I know they're not going to do it, <laughs> but I would want to see Beyonce back because she uh, actually brings people to the TV. She does. She does. She brings people to the TV. Maybe Alicia Keys. Um, mm. That's the same bet right there because you know she's not going to do anything outrageous. But when when you call on Queen B and Jay, you know they get you know they bring people <laughs> to the to the set and they get things done. But after the what she did last year and the outrage over that. You know, they're, they're not going to invite her back. It's just not going to happen. Not anytime soon. They want to go with somebody who's more vanilla. And if I, you know, if I had a choice, maybe, okay, Alicia Keys. Even Adele is cool. You know, if, if Adele is in the mix, that's fine. She's, she's a great talent. But uh, whoever they whoever they invite, I'm probably just going to wind up going out and getting some food or, or just mingling with the people with the food there. I'm probably not going to watch too much of it unless it's somebody that I'm really connected to. Yeah, I just want to see somebody that, like, actually has something to do with football. Like, anything. Like, is a fan, knows, like, one player on a team that's playing. I mean, just anything. Like, uh, I mean, Beyonce's cool because I, they did the whole, you know, the performance aspect. That's what's great about it. I don't want to see Alicia Keys sit behind a piano for ten minutes. Um, even Coldplay. Like, I like Coldplay, but they were so upstaged by everybody else that was in the, the, the performance this year. It was just like they were like background singers, so it was a shame. But give me somebody. Give me some Justin Timberlake. Give me some Usher. Give me somebody that's going to dance and put on a show and make me actually stop snacking and watch the performance because again if you're going to take up 20 25 minutes of you know the biggest game of the year to to put on a lame ass performance i'm good i don't want to see anybody that was you know from the 1960s anymore um it's just it's passe last year it was sting last year right yeah he was there for like two minutes uh bruno mars came on stage bruno's been great but again i don't want to see the same people i can go on youtube and watch that Show me, show me somebody new. Show me, show me, you know, somebody that hasn't been there. And I guess, you know, maybe that's just a a problem with the way the way of the music industry right now is it's just the same same type, same cookie cutter things. We're not going to see Kanye. We're not going to see Lil Jeezy. You know, we're not going to see anybody that that you know Mo might want to see. So you know, like you said, it's going to be it's going to be PG ever since my man Timberlake ripped off Janet Jackson's Brazier showing nip. I mean, he ruined it for everybody. So you know, thanks a lot, JT. 
One bad apple ruins it for everyone. Now we get vanilla performances from here on out until someone mm-hmm. slips up again. But, yeah. you know, maybe, maybe you know, NFL comes full circle and invites Janet Jackson back on to redeem herself. You know, maybe? No? I, I mean, I, I do it if she brings back JT and they do, you know, uh, Nipplegate Part 2. I'm down again. Let's go. <laughs> Roll back the tape, baby. Oh, my goodness. Uh, speaking of uh, highlight performances, your boy Michael Phelps Yo. winning medals. I believe he has 21 medals. 21 gold medals, sir. 21 gold. 25. Sorry. 21 gold medals. 25 all-time. about gold here because yeah. no one celebrates silver or bronze. That's true. It's true. But anyway, uh, Michael Phelps is basically taking over the Olympics, and people are mentioning him as the best Olympian ever. Yeah. And Mike probably agrees with this because I cheated and peeked on his notes. <laughs> And Mike basically thinks Michael Phelps is the best thing even before Jesus Christ. Oh uh, well, yeah. Back the Roman Empire days when it was man versus creature. Yeah, we will. I will talk about that. I just want to. I just want to note that he just finished the uh, semifinal of the two hundred meter. Was it free two hundred meter individual medley? He finished first. Ryan Lochte finished second. Uh, so he's still doing his thing. And that was after last night when he won. Was it the four by two hundred relay? He was the anchor, won the gold, and he did win the two hundred meter butterfly, which is his premier event. That he actually did lose um, in the two thousand was it two thousand and twelve Olympics to the same guy that was grilling him, uh, South African. Uh, Chad Lacroix, 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 whatever you want to call him. But if you saw you saw the memes and you saw everything that Michael uh, Michael Phelps just giving the death stare, great, just fantastic. I loved every minute of it. And what Mo was talking about as far as uh, the time of Jesus Christ himself, uh, Phelps is in a whole new category of greatness. Okay, we're gonna go way back right here. We're gonna go back two thousand one hundred sixty eight years. Michael Phelps has tied a record. Of a man called Leonidas of Rhodes. Let that sink in for a moment, shall you? Um, and this was, yeah, yeah, second. Uh, this was done by Deadspin. Uh, Barry Pacheski did some amazing research. Don't don't know how he found this out because it's two thousand years ago. But uh, by Michael Phelps following his two hundred meter butterfly on Tuesday, he's now earned twelve individual golds to go with the nine team golds during his Olympic career. According to multiple historians, those 12, 12 individual wins have tied him with Leonidas of Rhodes for the most in Olympic history. Now, for those that don't know Leonidas, because why would you? He was a sprinter during the time of 152 BCE. Um, yeah, he won the last gold in the 157th Olympiad. That was before Jesus Christ. You know, I ran with Leonidas back in the day. Yeah, I bet you did, old man. But just, I mean, amazing that these Olympics have been going on since before Jesus Christ. And Michael Phelps just tied a record. I mean, that is, it's hard to fathom. It's hard to put into any kind of context to just quite grasp how fantastic that is. I mean, when I think of 20, 21 gold medals, whatever he'll finish with at this Olympics, that in itself is amazing. But to do something that hasn't been done since before a man was crucified on the cross, I, I it's, that's a whole nother ball game. So, Michael Phelps, you are hands down to me the greatest Olympia, Olympia athlete that I've ever seen, that I will ever see. I don't care who comes after you. And it was great because I was listening to Bomani today, and he was comparing Michael Phelps to to uh, uh, Usain Bolt and how he feels Usain Bolt is, is more of a, uh, you know, more of a... I, shock and awe kind of guy and that's fine because it's completely different but come on you cannot compare 
20 Olympic golds, 25 medals altogether, to, to both who's been very, very good for, you know, almost now three Olympics. I mean, this guy's been doing it for 16 years, which is only four Olympic Games, but 16 years. For anybody to stay in competitive shape for that time, they're... I mean, they're swimming continuously, but the games are only for two and a half weeks every four years. That is incredible. It's the discipline that this guy puts on himself. I, I when I see a, a donut, I want to eat it. I do. He can't do that. And 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 now Mo, I wanted to ask you because you know people have been looking at at his body and saying you know he's in great shape. But what the, what are those things that look like? giant hickeys from from an alien species on his body and we know that it's cupping uh would you do you, you feel like uh, explaining cupping to to the, the the listening audience for us well let me go to the glasses real quick <laughs> dr mo is in session okay for those of you wondering about the hickeys the giant hickeys on michael Phelps' body as mike said they're suction cups and they're used to heal sore muscles so basically it's a it's a recovery method he's mm. not using pds using roids to recover he's using suction cups and basically i guess what i'm thinking is it basically stimulates the muscle to recover a lot faster there is discrepancy on whether it works some people say it's the, it's the placebo effect if you think it works then it's probably going to work because it's all in the mind yep it's actually the mind controls the body yep. you know that whole philosophical thing not to go too philosophical on you but if you Get believe deep. in that then you know it'll work yeah. but obviously it works for michael phelps because he's the best swimmer of all time, and yeah. he's he's racking up all these gold medals, so he's he's doing something right. Another thing he does is that I, after these competitions, I believe he has pounds of spaghetti. It's been reported <laughs> he has pounds of spaghetti to help also the carbs help him recuperate. And, that, and me being around the gym a lot and knowing bodybuilders, they do say that carbs help you after a workout. You're supposed to take your carbs after the workout, not before, but after, and it helps you recover for the next workout. So whatever he's doing between the suction cups and the spaghetti. It's doing him justice, so I, I can't refute it. I just want to point out that Mo dropped a very not-so-subtle, well, you know, I'm around the gym a lot because I work <laughs> out all the time because I'm 134 pounds of nothing but hey, muscle. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. <laughs> wasn't wasn't uh, Bruce Lee like 150 oh, pounds? Oh, you did not. On his pinkies? You did not just compare yourself to Bruce Lee, the greatest I martial art expert I'm of all time. Just like Bruce Lee. We may oh, not weigh a lot. We may my. not be 285 pounds like Mike. But we are shredded. My God. We, we get in the gym. We get it. We get busy. Okay. Wow. Push ups on the pinkies. Wow. A thousand pull ups. A thousand sit ups. We get in there and we have Eye of the Tiger on our mind and we just get loose. Okay? I have t- That's great. <laughs> Get that straight, All right. okay? Uh, I'm going uh, to call the Chinese triad and just tell them the treasonous things you just said about Bruce Lee. Anyway, uh, yeah, but for, true, the, for those... True story. Yeah, true story, right. Any, for anybody wondering uh, how cupping came about, like Mo said, it is an old uh, ancient uh, type of thing that they used to actually use leeches for. So that's how it came about. Leeches, real blood-sucking parasites, were the initial... Thing that they did instead of heating a metal tube and sucking your skin so again does it work who knows it's never been actually fda approved or anything like that but obviously it's working for michael phelps so uh awesome love it can't wait to watch him win a couple more gold so let's keep it with olympics real quick there's been some controversy american gold medalist and all around swimmer lily king 
Um, you know, I guess she's new. Never heard of her. But she has a problem. She has a huge beef with a lot of athletes in these Olympic Games. And she is not afraid to let it be known. Uh, she won the 100-meter breaststroke over Ru- Russia's Yulia Afonliva. Uh, I think I said it right. And King... Yeah, thank you. I'm, I'm taking up uh, Russian and Mandarin this winter. Um, King decided to speak out against two members of her own United States Olympic team. I have a little bit of a problem with that, but let's go on. Uh, she said uh, on Justin Justin Gatlin, who's a sprinter who will be uh, you know getting ready to race in a couple weeks, uh, a couple days, excuse me. And actually, uh, another fun fact: I was sat next to him on an airplane one time, and oh. he was decked out in all USA garb. And this was last year sometime. So he's nothing but nothing but repping the US of A. So I'm all behind that. You've been name dropping this whole yeah, episode. Yeah, yeah, that's first, what I do, first baby. First, you had you saw. <laughs> Prince Fielder. Tim now Tebow. Now you're sitting next to Olympians. Tim Tebow. Hey, I'm just lucky. I'm just lucky like that. You know, I'm just I'm just blessed. You know, hashtag. Um, anyway, uh, she, she went on to say about Justin Gatlin, do I think people caught for doping offenses should be on the team? No. Wow. Um, she did talk about uh, Elfamova when she said, um, I don't let patriotism get in the way of justifiably criticizing fellow countrymen or not obviously the russian lady she's talking about is not she also went on to directly specifically say gallon's name and then later on apparently threw in tyson gay under the bus as well uh now gatlin was suspended twice by the united states anti-doping agency the first ban came amid allegations of doping back in 01 uh and and a ban after that culminated in him being forced from competition for almost two years uh and then he was banned again in 2006 for four years so maybe you know maybe she has a little bit of uh, you know a case to make uh as far as gay's is concerned he was banned from july of 13 to june of 14 but both are competing this summer as far as that russian lady is concerned we do know that the russian team drew a ton of news in the lead up to the olympics uh but for whatever reason the uh russian team was cleared uh so but it's funny though because alfamova was shaking her finger number one uh at king after she said she wasn't cheating and then after king won she was doing the finger back she was doing the matumbo no 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 so i would just like to see uh, a battle royale slap fest in the pool i don't think that's asking too much um chicken fights i think winner takes all gets gold mold, gold medal uh, that's it Mike, we're, we're trying to keep it clean we don't need any nope. slap chop her down hit her hit her no no okay no but anyway um what you had a problem with yeah. lily king speaking out against her own is yeah. that like the no snitching policy that you have in your household mike what is that about niches get stitches homie that's all i'm saying <laughs> I mean, she she likes a clean competition. She yeah, works hard. But come on, I get it. She's she's okay. She's clean. Like, oh, I'd be ironic if we tested her after and she didn't. You know, she had like horse tranquilizer in her urine or something. But regardless, it's your teammate. I understand you don't agree with the policy, but. It's your teammate. It's not your teammate per se that they're in the pool with you, but you're representing the same country. If you've got a problem, speak out either before or after the games, not during. Like, what are you trying to do? Getting ahead of your fellow man? Like, I, I don't understand. That. I'm not even cool with, with talking about a, another country's uh, competitor. I, you know what? There's a time and a place for everything. If you want to talk about it leading up, Fine. All you're going to do is have bulletin board material, and if we know anything from, you know, NFL, NBA, MLB, you don't say those things because it riles up the competition. So I, if I really wanted to say anything, would hold my tongue, wait till after the games when I won the gold medal, and then say, ha-ha, you're a cheater. So, but I just don't understand why you would do it during, if, especially if you still got races, 
if you're what's what about team camaraderie? What about patriotism? I mean, I understand cheaters are cheaters, and that goes back to the whole A Rod thing, why people still hate on him. But chick, relax. You know, this is your first time on a on a global scale. You know, act like you've been there before. Don't don't talk like you're better than everybody, and just let your actions speak for themselves. Otherwise, Mike, just wait two and a half weeks. Then you can talk. This sounds like the girl who's in class and she's you know doing her tests and there are two people behind her and they're cheating on the exam and she raises her oh, hand yeah. and she basically rats them out. Yeah. That's what this sounds. You're trying to paint her to be that. She is. That she is. Of, uh, Goody two shoes. That, that school stooge in a sense. So, <laughs> uh, you know, Mike, come on, ease up. Nope. I mean, she's obviously a clean figure. She likes to have a clean competition, like Martin Luther King said. An injustice here is an injustice everywhere. So maybe she's just trying to clean it up from top to bottom, whether you're on the USA team or not. She wants everyone to go there with the same good intentions. That's all. That's all she's saying. Mm. Just, you know, I work hard. You can do the same thing whether you're, you know, on the USA team or not. That's all she's saying because we all know what the Russian doping scandal did. You don't see the track and field team. You don't see the Paralympic team. And Maria Sharapova, obviously, not competing because of her melodonium use. So, mm-hmm. you know, there's that. But, yeah. you know, I'm proud of Lily King and what she's done. She's on the grand stage. She was trending on Twitter that night. And, and good for her. What about what about my girls, the U.S. women's gymnastics team? Damn, looking oh, yeah. fine oh, yeah. and doing let, big let things. Just, yeah, let, let me just make a quick announcement. Mm-hmm. Ladies, if you got some thickness in your thighs, <laughs> it's okay. Love it. Yeah, it's great. But mm-hmm. um, on to the actual competition, <laughs> on all serious note. There was a competition? You know, that, that Olympic team is great. Simone Biles, Gabby Douglas, Allie Reisman, they did a great job out there. I watched the whole, I actually watched the whole competition. I've always liked gymnastics, even when I was a kid, because I know that I can't flip around on those bars like they do. I would probably crack my head open on the first swing. I would probably slip on a bar, but they do it, and their their legs are like springs. They're, they're doing handstands and handsprings and flipping around and and it's it's really tough i would i'd probably be scared to do it even if i was skilled at doing something like that i would be so scared to get up on those balance beams and things like that nature because i'm afraid i'm gonna fall because if you don't know me i'm slightly clumsy at certain uh, times yeah but you could be and I'm you could be sure in the NBA. that i would have an accident <laughs> yeah well i mean hey these girls have trained their entire lives um, they're they're phenomenal at what they do their bodies probably have take a huge toll i mean the amount of bumps and bruises and broken bones but but they are a beautiful thing to watch i can't wait to watch the uh you know the, the rest of the individual events they're they're a lot of fun but it's great i mean five women competing at the highest level and it's been amazing all the i mean the majority of american women in all the events across the board have just been phenomenal and i love that our country has the best women in the world when it comes to athletic events and uh it's just it's remarkable i mean we actually have more female uh competitors than ever before so it's amazing uh they're the teachers and the and the coaches and the mentors that younger uh the lower levels are doing a wonderful job getting these ladies ready and uh you know bring it home i want to win every let's not leave any gold for the taking let's win it all just like my man carmelo anthony mo tell us about momentum mo mello please yeah, he just passed Michael Jordan for third on the list on Olympic scoring. Uh, Carmelo Anthony is a four-time Olympian. Jordan was a two-time Olympian. Jordan obviously played for the 1984 team and the 1992 Dream Team. But Melo is breaking all types of records. Uh, he's doing a great job. He's a leader out there because, obviously, he's a senior on that team now, which is it's crazy to think because I remember when Melo first came into the league, yep. he was raking in. He had, he had the braids, and now he's all grown up, cut the hair. 
and he's doing his thing. Uh, just a quick couple of notes. Uh, most all-time Olympic points, second second most all-time Olympic rebounds, second in field goals made, and most 30-point game, games in the Olympics. So that's off mellow. And he's going to keep breaking records because obviously the U.S. has, has more uh, games to play. And he actually saved the U.S. today over Australia. Australia lost to the U.S. Uh, 98-88. Patty Mills, Matthew Delvadova, Andrew Bogut were putting in that work. But Melo came through, came through big and pulled the team out for a victory. And USA looks like they're well on their way. I, I, I just don't need any more close calls like today because as Mike said off air before we got on, Australia was winning by halftime and Melo pulled it out with the team to victory. I just hope he saves some of that beautiful, luxurious finger roll action for, uh, you know, November and December and January and February. But yeah, it's great to see, you know, people always say that his game is, is perfect for the Olympic style of play, whether it's because of that weird trapezoid thing down, down in the key um, or the fact that, you know, the three-point line is a little bit closer in. But he's always excelled at this stage. It probably helps that he's got better players than he's ever played with in the NBA, so, you know, give him that as well. But, hey, I'm all for this guy, you know, winning another gold and, and using that as a launching pad to bring back to New York because Lord knows we can use some positivity in the garden this fall. The only thing I worry about, and you kind of hinted on it a little bit, is I hope he has enough energy to carry himself through a full NBA season. We all know Melo is no spring chicken anymore, yeah. so... He's putting he's putting his effort into this uh into the into these Olympic games, but you hope once it's over and they bring home the gold that he comes back to Madison Square Garden and he does the same and leads his team to a lot more victories, over fifty wins you're hoping for. Mm-hmm. Even though I think the Knicks fall short of fifty, maybe 48, 49, but I hope okay. Melo has enough to carry that team because he is don't don't get it twisted. He is still the best player oh, yeah. on that roster, whether Derrick Rose is healthy or not. Absolutely, no doubt. And speaking of those Knicks, the rumor has it that they will play on Christmas Day against the Boston Celtics. Now, it is just a rumor, uh, but it, it's it's a fantastic note for, for Knicks fans and people who just like, you know, big franchise basketball in general because, as we know, the Knicks were not on Christmas Day this year, nor did they deserve it. So uh, it'll be interesting. New York-Boston is always a rivalry, whether it's football, baseball, or basketball, but especially in hoops, when those two teams are good, it just makes... It makes basketball that much better. Now, Mo, is there is there a game that you would either have preferred to see over this one, or just did you want to just see somebody else on Christmas Day? Any other teams you could think of? As you said, it's good to have the Knicks back on Christmas Day, but I want to see them play the Chicago Bulls, obviously oh. because of the blockbuster trade that went down, Derrick Rose swapping from Bulls to Knicks, also Joe Kim Noah coming over from the Bulls. Mm-hmm. And then you can have a banana boat rivalry between Dwayne Wade and Carmelo Anthony on opposite end. Jimmy yeah. Butler's there, who's on the Olympic team with Melo. Rondo joins. So it's it's a lot more star power. The Boston Celtics and the Knicks would be a good game, no doubt. Yeah. But the Celtics lack star power. I mean, Isaiah Thomas, he was an all-star this year. But let's be honest, he's not a top-tier player. He doesn't bring that star. He doesn't bring people to the box office. Do you think they that— did sign- I'm sorry, go ahead. No, you go ahead. They, they did sign Al Hawford, but he, again, he's one of those, he's not a big personality player. And when you watch on Christmas Day, after you open your own presents or watch your kids <laughs> open their presents or your loved ones, you want to be entertained. And that's it. You want to be entertained and you want to see a good game. And I believe that matchup, Knicks versus Celtics, gives you a good game, but lacks an entertainment that the Bulls would give only because of that trade and, and players playing their former teams. Do you think that perhaps we're being saved the Miami Heat versus Chicago Bulls instead? Yeah, and I don't, I don't want to see the Heat and the Bulls because the yeah. Heat don't have... Yeah, they, they have a son white side, but Meh. other than that, 
I'm not really interested in the Heat this year. They don't have Dwayne Wade, and they're not going to be a playoff team. So I'd prefer to see the Chicago Bulls and Nick Square off, and maybe you, you have the Celtics and the Pacers. I know Laura would be happy about that because then she can wake up on Christmas Day as she opens, like, a new uh, uh, shaver or whatever she has for her barber <laughs> tools, and she can watch her Pacers on TV against a good basketball team. And Indiana is a pretty much a purest type of area when it comes to basketball. They like pure basketball because that's Hoosier town, she likes to call us. She said, call us Hoosiers. Hoosiers. And they're, they're more purist. Celtics are purist. So then you get, you get the entertainment with the Knicks and the Bulls, and then you get the purest game with the Celtics and the Pacers. I mean, tech, usually... Christmas Day is the day that you start paying attention to the NBA because it's such a long season and, you know, the first, like, 15 games really don't seem to mean much. But, uh, yeah, I mean, we we heard that it looks like Oklahoma City is going to play Golden State for the first time in Oakland in November. And then they won't play each other again in OKC until sometime in February. So a little weird. I'm trying to figure out exactly how the the scheduling gods are coming to this conclusion. I would like to see one of those games on Christmas Day. You know, like we, you know, for years and years, we, we, what do we see? The Heat and the Cavs. Now we're going to probably see Golden State and the Cavs. You know, give me something, give me something juicy. Give me four solid games. Don't give me like at the end of the night, which they seem to put on like, oh, here's a, Here's the Clippers, and they're playing Portland. Like, what? I mean, they're good teams, don't get me wrong, but what? why? There's no rivalry there. The, the NBA likes to do this. They, ha- they like to have a watered-down game in the beginning, and then they'll yeah. have, a, you know, a hype game around 3 o'clock, and then they'll have another hype game around 6, and then, as you said, they'll have, like, the Portland Trailblazers. Even though, if they do have Portland on this year, guess who's on Portland, and guess who will be on my TV on Christmas Day? Your best last- friend, Evan. Turner. Turner. Gotta have the bird of Turner on my, just, on my TV on Christmas Day. Can we go one show without talking about him? I would be, what's that? Can go one show without talking about your man crush? Hey, man, listen. <laughs> Laura likes him. I like him. I don't. I think he's an all-around player. I think he helps Portland this year. And if Portland's pretty good, you best to believe it could be Portland and the Clippers in a late-night game or maybe Portland and San Antonio for a watered-down, purest basketball game between two teams who are very low-profile. Well, and Damian Lillard brings some style files, so there you go. And that's that's fine. It's funny just to, to, to bounce off of that. Uh, you know, go to our Instagram page. It's uh, Mike and Mo Show, and you can follow all the funny things that we find throughout the week and make you laugh because it's hilarious. And speaking of that, we did post something on the Michael Phelps death stare, and and we wrote under that 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 is the way I I look at Mo when all he does is talk about Evan Turner or this is my boy Demar Derozan. And funny enough, the Toronto Raptors like the photo. So bam, dropping that on your face. Uh, so is that like a plug for yourself right there? No, no, it's good, for, it's good for us. It's good for us in general, the two of us, that we get recognition that someone cared. Oh, forget it. For Toronto. 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 Another country. What? No, no offense to the Canadians watching. Hating this, on the Canadians. Damn. I'm not. I'm not hating. Love you, Canadian people. Okay. <laughs> not maybe not in the Olympics, but okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, but. You know, maybe a Knicks like would be great. You know, a, a like from Evan Turner. Hey, maybe. hey, I'll take what I can get right about now. We start out, hey, this was still a team that made it very, very deep into the playoffs, so I'm happy. We the North. We the North, baby. Yeah, yeah, but you know how I feel about DeMar DeRozan. So yeah, I, but that's why I said it. You don't hear me say that. But, uh, straight up said I said Mo Moten, Williamsburg, on, 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 on the cusp of Williamsburg and Ben Stuy, 
hates you, DeMar DeRozan. You just threw Millie King under the bus for snitching, and for the second episode in a row, because you did this last week, you're snitching on me. Yep, because What's I know wrong? you. I know you. She don't know Tyson Gay. She don't know. I know J- I know Gatlin better because I sit next to him on a plane than she knows him. Bet you she ain't, never even, she ain't never even met Justin Gatlin. I talked to him. I brushed up against his USA windbreaker. I know what it's. I know what the deal is. I know you. I know Williamsburg Bed style. You get a tattoo on your back if you were forced to. I keep it real. Don't forget. This is what you get when you put an arrogant former New Yorker in LA. This is what happens. Absolutely. It's to star power and stars. Best of both worlds. Athletes. This is what happens. East Coast, West Coast, baby. Got that connection. Meet me in the middle. Chicago. People, if you're going from East Coast to West Coast, don't end up like Mike. No, please. Then you wind up name dropping all over the place, mm-hmm. and you'll be arrogant just like you. That, yeah. You know what? There's not many better things you can ask for in life. Arrogant, good looking, got a great head of hair. We talked about this last night on, on Twitter. So uh, all in all, you know what? Just be you. Everybody be happy with what you got because um, Lord knows I will never have the Carmelone fade that Mo is beginning to have. And with that being said, we're wrapping up the Momentum Session. We'll be right back. We're going we're gonna to get deep. We're going to talk a little bit of sadness in the world of, uh, in the world of media, and uh, we'll talk about that in just a moment. We'll be right back. The Wrap-Up. Earlier today, we had sad news. ESPN, they lost uh, an employee, John Saunders. And for those of you who don't know who John Saunders is, and you should if you've been watching ESPN over the past, I don't know, 30 years, uh, he was on Sports Reporters on Sundays. He took over for Dick Schaap. He was the host there. He was, he's been on NFL Primetime between 1987 and 89. He was on NBA Shootaround from 2002 to 2004 and a little bit 2007. He was even on ABC's college football broadcast. He did Baseball Night in America in the 2000s. And he also did Sports Center with Chris Berman and Tom Jackson, who also announced he was leaving ESPN uh, during the Hall of Fame speeches and the Hall of Fame ceremony. But uh, Saunders was a guy that I I became, I known, not known personally, intimately, but just seeing him on the TV. He's pretty much up there with uh, Stuart Scott and Brian Burwell for me. Watching ESPN, I, immediately when I heard the news, I, I texted my aunt and I said, hey, do you remember John Saunders? And she's like, yeah, we grew up together watching him on SportsCenter on, on a bunch of different telecasts I just as I just listed off for you. But uh, it's a huge loss because as I was watching a lot of shows today, a lot of people, he touched a lot of people. I was watching First Take and Stephen A. Smith was pretty much close to tears talking about him because he spoke of him as a mentor, as a guy who who kind of put him under his wing and just kind of mentored him through, you know, the industry. Uh, Michael Smith and Jamel Hill, they were they were in tears on the His and Hers show today right after for, uh, right after First Take. And they spoke about how it was working with him on uh, Sports Reporters on Sunday. And Michael Smith said, this is a guy who had patience with me because I did about 18 takes on the show before I got it right. And as you know, as I just said, Saunders was the host of that show after uh, Dick Schaap left. Hannah Storm was on ESPN, and she was clearly shaken up. She's been around ESPN for a long time, and she's been well acquainted with him. And it seems like everyone who's come in contact with him has nothing had nothing but positive things to say about him. He seemed like a guy who, even though he was well-established, he was a made man, and he, he was doing his thing, he still had time to, I guess, reach out to the younger people in this industry and just kind of put them under his wing and say, hey, this is... 
this is how you be a professional on air. This is how you do it off air. This is how you want to make your way through the industry. And and I feel like we're missing a lot of that today because as me and Mike do the show, as podcasters, you know, you don't have a lot of people giving positive feedback. You know, now you hear about the trolls. That's the cool thing now is to troll people, whether their work is, is worth it or not. You know, there's there's a lack of encouragement in our society. And I think having a guy like John Saunders around, if you were working for ESPN or if you were in contact with him, is a breath of fresh air because this is a guy, again, who didn't have to take the time out to come to the young people in the industry and say, hey, you know, this is what I did and this is what you can do and I see you doing big things. And for a guy like that to take time out to go to Michael Smith, to talk to Stephen A., have time with Hannah Storm, Jamel Hill, those people, says a lot about him. Even even uh, Skipper, the president of ESPN, released a statement immediately. And this is a guy who's also the founding board member of the Jimmy V Foundation for Cancer Research. Him and Jimmy V were, were great friends. They they did uh, broadcasting together. And he's carried that on through his living life, John Saunders has. And, again, it's a sad day because, again, I, I grew up as a kid watching him and saying, you know, I want to be on TV and I want to do this and I want to do that. And I looked up to guys like him and said, even though I didn't meet him, I said, wow, this guy does his job very well. And, and, and it's, it says a lot when a person can jump from sport to sport. Like, again, I listed off he baseball, football, basketball, college sports. And he, he even loved the NHL. I mean, the NHL is not as popular in America, but he made it his business to talk about the NHL on his show, Sports Reporters. He was also an all-star uh, defensive lineman um, in, in the Montreal Junior Hockey Leagues. He, he's born in Toronto, Ontario, Toronto, I believe. He is Canadian. And he was just all over the sports map. And this is a guy who was uh, multi-talented. When you think of him, you think again, you think of guys like Stuart Scott, who's a little bit more flashy, of course. Brian Burwell, who's more of a writer. I believe he was in St. Louis Dispatch. And you think about, uh, I guess, the pillars in, 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 in the ESPN building. You think of Michael Wilbon and Kornheiser and, and those guys who've just been around. I just mentioned Tom Jackson, Berman. I mean, those, whatever you think about those guys, and they, they share a unique fraternity. And John Saunders just seemed to stick out as that, as that mentor, as that big brother figure who would say, you know, it's going to be okay. I've been through it. I know you can too. And salute to him and his family. Yeah, 61 years old. Just a, a young man, still so much life to live. And, you know, we don't know the reports of exactly what happened or what transpired. Um, supposedly, from what we've heard, he had been battling equilibrium issues for quite some time. So, you know, we'll find out more in the coming days. But unfortunately, it's not going to change anything. You know, we've lost a great, you know, a great man in, in this industry and a great man in general. And, you know, you know, it's something to take away that if you're lucky enough to have a mentor or have had a mentor at one time in your life, then you're one of the lucky ones. If not, then be a mentor. You know, reach out to someone who is striving to do great things or hoping to do positive things and and give them anything that you can you know some time to talk uh, you know a lending year is just as important as opening a door for someone you know positive reinforcement because all the stories you've heard today that's exactly what john saunders did and you know when i first heard it this morning i was on i was in the car and i heard you know dan lebertard and dan lebertard was close to john saunders and you think like how did these two type of guys even have a connection yet they did you know so obviously that's the amazing thing is John Saunders is like a chameleon of sorts. It didn't matter what sport, what type of person you are, where are, where you're from, ethnic background, beliefs, whatever. He was just the type of guy who would take the time to get to know you and care about what mattered to you. And that's, you know, that's really, it's, it's special. There's, there's a lack of 
There's a lack of human beings like that. So, you know, um, appreciate what you have. Be thankful for what you, you had or did, did have at one time in your life. And just be be that if you can to someone else. Because it, obviously on the day the man passes away, some people have nothing but good things to say about him. We should all be so lucky. Absolutely. And, and Michael Smith pointed this out. And he said that he was at a function with John Sonas recently. And he said, you know, at one point, he actually said, you know what, John, I'm going to get back to you. I'm just going to do something. He said he, he couldn't remember where he was running off to. He was going to a party maybe. But the reason he broke down on air is because he said, man, like if I could have just had that one last moment with him because he just introduced me to his wife and I could have spent that time with him not knowing what was going to happen in the following week. So the big message here is for, the, for those who you're close to, your loved ones, if you have the time to spend with them, spend that time with him because you just you just never know and as we said we don't know what the cause of death here is for john but you you don't know when what day is going to be your last day so just live it as your last and spend it wisely with with good people and and you you'll live a full life most definitely well that is it for episode 26 of the mike and mo show as always find us on twitter Facebook, Mike and Mo Show. Instagram, Mike and Mo Show. Like we said, lots of funny photos you can check out all week in uh, preparation for the new episode. They'll always link back to the previous episode so you can share them with your friends, leave a comment, love us, hate us. We just want to hear from you. And, of course, we're getting ready. We're going to be launching the Mike and Mo Fantasy Football League. So hit us up on uh, mentalitymedia.com slash podcast. Let us know why you want to play. Give us a funny team name. And, uh, yeah, we're going to get that rolling in the the next couple of weeks up until (laughs) – kickoff time baby it's right around the corner Mo's gonna be busy writing his little butt off for oh yeah. no you, you you speak what who are you writing for what are you doing tell us about it all right now uh mostly on nfl spin zone covering the entire nfl actually i'm coming out with a piece in the next coming days i'm gonna get three teams that are overrated and three teams that are underrated so look out for that uh probably will be on empire rights back a little bit writing for the new york teams i'll also uh waiting for confirmation i shouldn't even say this right now don't but say I, it. wait for confirmation on bleach report i should be covering the oakland raiders on game day so mm. anything oakland raiders on sunday i have it covered from pre-game to post-game from uh, instagram photos to to my own inputs analysis to the beat writers who are actually on the ground at the games and everything in between including an, a post article that grades everything the raiders did each position as it goes so uh, it's gonna be a busy season for me. I told people if you if you if you got time in August, uh, hit me up, hit my phone because from September to December or January, depending on how far the Raiders go, because I do think they're a playoff team, it's gonna be lockdown for me. So so people, if you if you got time, you see me at the gym, if you see me at the ice cream truck, at the supermarket, you know, it, doing boxing lessons, anything. You know, drop by like no, I'm not. I don't bite. I'm a I'm a calm person. You know, I may come at Mike sometimes because I gotta defend myself if he can get out of hand because so it's a little arrogant. That's a little. But to the general public, to the average citizen, I'm a very nice person. You know, you can ask anyone who knows me. I, I'm a welcoming person, willing to have a conversation with you about sports, about life. I'm a very deep human being. Okay, I'm not just a, a podcaster or a writer who just spouts out these these terrific topics about sports. I'm, you know, I'm all over the map, so, you know, I'm out there. Mo is deep like a Michael Phelps swimming pool. Olympic <laughs> size, baby. So don't you forget it. 
Until then, hit us up on social media. Drop us a line. We uh, can't wait to do it again next week unless, of course, Mo gets hired as the official beat writer for the Oakland Raiders. Then it'll be the Mike and Mike show. Oh, wait, that name's already taken. It'll be the Mike Calandrillo show, but I'd rather not. I'd rather do it with my main man, Mo. Until episode 27, have a blessed week. Take care. Hug your loved ones, and we'll see you then.